Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 404th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a film legend. In the early 1960s, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed youngster was the most popular child star in the world. And in the words of Turner Classic Movies, quote, the epitome of English wholesomeness, close quote. Anchoring the Disney films Pollyanna in 1960, The Parent Trap in 1961, In Search of the Castaways in 1962, Summer Magic in 1963, The Moonspinners in 1964, and That Darn Cat in 1965. She became one of the top box office attractions of each of those years, and over that time period was voted a BAFTA Award for Most Promising Newcomer to Leading Film Roles, a Golden Globe Award for New Star of the Year, and the last Juvenile Academy Award ever presented. And from The Parent Trap, she even had a top 10 hit on the U.S. singles charts, Let's Get Together. The author of the new memoir, Forever Young, Haley Mills. Over the course of our conversation, the 75-year-old and I discussed the challenges and rewards of child stardom and what it was like working for Walt Disney in the first years of her life and the last years of his, What led her to pass on a role in Stanley Kubrick's risque Lolita in 1962, but to accept a role in Roy Bolting's risque The Family Way in 1966? What her life has been like in the decades since, from motherhood to fame to parts in the theater, and as the title character on the TV series Good Morning, Miss Bliss, which ran from 1987 through 1989 and spawned Saved by the Bell, What inspired her to look back at her own life in her new memoir and what she learned about herself in so doing, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. If you're uh, ready, Miss Mills, we'll fire it up. I I do hope you're going to call me Haley, or I'm going to feel terribly formal. (laughs) Well, only uh, only with your permission, only with your permission. So, uh, thank you. Otherwise, I'm going to call you Mr. Feinberg. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Well, so thrilled to have you on this podcast, and uh, congratulations on the new book, which I've really enjoyed, and uh, we'll we'll be in our introduction separately telling our listeners more about it. But uh, I guess to begin with, you know, I, I want to say uh, some of the on this podcast, we go through the big moments in the 
lives and careers of our guests. And so there there may be uh, there will inevitably be some, you know, overlap between the book and this. I hope you won't mind. But just to titillate no. readers. So if you if you wouldn't mind, I mean, for listeners who may not know, can you tell them where you were born and raised and what your parents did for a living? I was born in London and raised, you know, just outside London and also on a farm in the middle of Sussex. And my parents were John Mills, who was a a very well-known and much-loved actor in, in the UK. And my mother was Mary Haley Bell. She had been an actress. And she'd, give, she'd given it up because she didn't want to keep leaving my father. They were absolutely uh, joined at the hip. They were not happy unless they were together. Uh, but she was a writer. And so she did have something else to to uh, fall back on. Now, when, when you were a kid, before that first movie role came along, which we'll, of course, talk about, did you and your family ever discuss the possibility of you getting into acting? Because one of the things in, in prepping for this beyond your book, I came across this 1967 Time Magazine article in reference to you and your siblings. Your mother said, quote, I made sure I gave them names that would look nice on a marquee, close quote. So I wonder, you know, was this something that was ever even talked about before the the kind of fateful meeting that led to your first role? Well, I think that was a manner of speech. Uh, she was looking for names that, that uh, you know, she thought looked good, as all parents do for their children. Um, and, of course, I expect in the back of their minds there was always the possibility that we might go into the business, which was the family business, uh, as an awful lot of children go into their parents' family business, whether it's farming or making jewellery or pumping oil or acting. Absolutely. Um, you, know, you know, my sister Juliet initially had wanted to be a prima ballerina, and then she she decided she wanted to be an actress, and uh, she actually did get into the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, but then she got the part in a play in the West End, so actually never went. So she had... You know, the best, really the best um, school and education for an actress, which was being on stage and learning through experience. And of course, all the people that uh, I moved around in when I was a child were, by and large, in the business. You know, they were actors and writers and directors and people in the business. So uh, it really, some people... We talk about turning points and and things in our lives, but you truly had one where if if a visit to your house had not happened, your life could have gone in a completely different direction. So I wonder if you could just tease this out. I mean, a director comes to meet with your dad about a role for him and leaves reimagining his whole movie so that it can accommodate you. This is right. This is extraordinary. Extraordinary. The role was a boy. It was a little boy and he, he'd seen an awful lot of children, tested a lot of children and hadn't found the right boy. And he visited um, my parents when we were living on a farm in Sussex. And it is absolutely true, although it sounds apocryphal, I was doing television commercials, you know, for my own amusement. There may be a couple of kids around the kids, uh, you know, whose parents worked on the farm and 
we used to hang out together. I think there were a couple of kids around, but I would do things for my own amusement anyway. And um, Lee Thompson saw me doing these TV commercials and there and then decided he would change it to a little girl, which was extraordinary and um, extremely lucky. Uh, and that was the second time where something that was destined for a boy actually landed in my lap because my my mother had very, very, very badly wanted to have a boy, her second child be a boy. Uh, having had a daughter, my sister Juliet, and when I arrived, I know she was awfully disappointed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she was going to call the boy Haley, which was her father's other name. His name was Francis Haley Bell. And her name was Mary Haley Bell. It was a surname. But her father was always called Haley. So, and he had died by the time I was born. So she said, well, I'm going to call the, you know, all right, so it's not a boy, it's a girl, but I'll call it Haley anyway. So <laughs> I was always kind of like, I don't know, by default somehow. And it was... <laughs> It proved to be very lucky for me anyway. Well, so that first movie role was, uh, it's 1959, Tiger Bay. You're the witness to the murder in there. And that, I guess, was was really the beginning. And I, I wonder, though, if you can also clear up, because over the years, in different ways, I've seen it reported in different ways, that, that uh, I guess, how this movie crosses the radar of Walt Disney because on the one hand there there's I'll just tell you some of the accounts I've seen where they talk about Bill Anderson this Disney producer who's the one that claims responsibility for seeing you and bringing uh you to Walt's attention then there's the Lillian Disney gets caught in the rain uh in England story so what was as you understand it how did you first register with Walt Disney oh, I the, the story that I have always believed to be the right one is that Bill Anderson was in London discussing the next film that they were setting up, which was the Swiss family Robinson with the director, uh, Ken Anakin. And Bill and Ken were in Ken's hotel suite and Bill's wife and Ken's wife went out because it was all getting a bit claustrophobic and they went to the movies and they went to see Tiger Bay knowing that Walt was trying to cast part of Pollyanna, they came back and said, as this child, and we don't know how old she is. She could be eight, she could be 14. But, you know, she might work. So Bill went to see the film and um, sat through about, about an hour of it, I believe, and then didn't see any more, not because he didn't like the film, but because he wanted to call Walt. And tell him that he, he found a child that might work. And Walt said, great, bring the, bring the film. And um, uh, Bill Anderson tried to get the rank organization to sell him a copy and they refused. So <laughs> that could have been the end of my career. Uh, so Bill had to buy a copy, which couldn't have been cheap. And he, the very next day, flew to California with the cans of film under his arm got to L.A. and told Walt, here on, here is. And before he saw Walt, he bumped into the uh, producer, the direct, no, the producer, the other producer of Pollyanna. And uh, he said, oh, 
there's no point in taking the, uh, the film to Walt because David Swift, who wrote the script and directed Pollyanna, has already seen it, seen the girl, and doesn't think she's right. <laughs> so Bill was like, oh, gosh, I've come all this way and spent all this money. So he went to see Walt, who, who watched the film, and he, he got on a plane that night and came over. And by this time, we'd heard that he wanted to meet me. And we met him at the Dorchester Hotel. My mother, my father, my brother, Jonathan, and myself, and a small white Pekingese puppy called Suki, <laughs> who had been given to us by Vivian Lee and Larry Olivier. He'd given it to Vivian, but it peed all over her new lime green carpet suit. <laughs> Didn't like it. So we got it. And um, there we were suddenly confronted by the great magician. Now, do you, I guess, do you remember knowing about, I mean, everybody, I guess, knew the name Disney, right? It's the movies that people went to see as kids. But did you yes. have a full appreciation of what a big deal this was, that this man wanted to come and see you? Not as not as big a deal as it actually was. I mean, I didn't even know that Walt Disney was a real person. <laughs> I thought it was like Warner Brothers, you know, or Columbia. And uh, and then when the door opened, we all were so astonished. Even my parents, who'd met all sorts of famous and wonderful people, to see a real life human being standing there. <laughs> And and not a, not uh, a mouse or, or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, was it Walt who sort of asked you, you know, Haley, would you like to be in movies with me for the next few years? Or was it basically a situation where he's pitching your parents and then you find out what you're going to be doing for the next few years? No, uh, I don't really talking about Pollyanna at all. I mean, I'm sure he must have mentioned it. He probably wanted to... <laughs> he probably wanted to think about it when we left. I don't know. But uh, we didn't know what he had in mind until until my father's agent, who was then by that time my agent, came and, and um, told us that Walt had offered this extraordinary deal, this uh, contract for seven years, which was wonderful, wonderful, exciting and marvellous. But... I'd only done one movie. I was only 13 years old and nobody thought that I was going to be an actress. It was just a, a one-off a one-off experience, you know, and I'd gone back to boarding school and I wasn't offered anything in, in England. <laughs> so suddenly I was being offered a career, a career that would take me until I was 20 and a very difficult decision. It's very, you know... It's so hard for parents to make the right decision for their children when they're very young and they don't really know what they want to do. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So do you remember having a, a conversation with your parents saying, you know, this is or is not, uh, is this or is this not something that you would like to do? Or was it just, let's let's give it a go? No, I definitely did have a conversation with them. And he asked me, but I thought, you know, it's really a very difficult question to answer. But then he did ask me if I enjoyed, if I wanted to act again, if I wanted to be an actress. And I 
And I remember my experience on Tiger Bay and how much I had enjoyed it. And it had seemed to be a completely natural thing for me to do. I hadn't had any doubts or questions or fears or embarrassment or anything. Uh, it was very easy, instinctive, I suppose you could say. I think children are instinctive performers. Their games are absolutely brilliant. And I was still at that age when I was making up my games, you know, my imaginary people all day. And, uh, and then I realized I did. I loved it. I loved doing it. And um, I said, yes, yes, I'll do it. I'd love to do it. And that was it. I didn't really think any more about it. So it left them with that possible, really, decision. Do you have children? Not yet, but I was thinking, what would I do? And I mean, I wonder, I was going to also ask you, because I know you, you've you got children. If they had come to you when your ch your kids were that age and said, would would you sign up for this? I mean, I, I wonder. Yes, 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 I know. And uh, and you do have to take things into consideration. And, and with my, you know, both boys had an experience of being in a movie. Uh, my younger son, Ace, had a little part in a movie that I was in and was very keen and also wrote some of his own dialogue, which uh, the director um, didn't appreciate. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was only seven. Um, and, and my older son, Crispian, who helped me very, very much with this book, he was offered a part in a television series when he was 12. And he and I both thought that it was the timing wasn't good because he was just about to go to public school and get a really good education. Who knows what would have happened? Who knows? Right. My education was sorely interrupted mm. by, by working. I don't think it's impossible to make every decision that you make for your children right. I don't think you can always get it right. But you have never felt, I wish my parents didn't get me into this? No, 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 never. No, goodness me. The ups and downs, the ins and outs, whatever the good Lord sends. <laughs> you know, I mean, life is full of challenges. And I've had a, you know, I've had my share of challenges like everybody does. And it just, you know, it gave me a career. And, um, you know, there have been peaks and valleys and feasts and famine and, and all those things, but I wouldn't change anything. I would change a few things that I did and a few things that I didn't do. Um, but but we all say that, don't we? Well, really? well and I, I, you know, just going along chronologically here, I think it is pretty amazing because you talk about, in, you know, maybe with Tiger Bay, it's just and you had an instinctive feel for how to do it. But with... Pollyanna, which is, I guess, only a year later, the first time you're now the center of the movie, you're not there with your dad on the same. So, well, he may have been there, but he's not in the movie with you. And yeah. people should remember, think about this. I don't know how many casts of any movie are, are this formidable. Jane Wyman, Carl Malden, Agnes Moorhead, Adolf Manjou, Nancy Olsen, Donald Crisp, all supporting you. I guess I just wonder... Did it now suddenly feel a bit more serious or even stressful that you are you are at the middle of this whole operation? 
You know, I never actually saw it like that. As a child, you're used to being surrounded by adults. So the film, I was a child surrounded by adults. Adults who were experienced and very, very, very good at what they did. So they made me look better at what I did because they were so expert. And on the first day, I did find adjusting to a different kind of filmmaking difficult. The heat and the clothes and the wig and um, the lights and the enormous number of people and the trucks. There was so much distraction. Not least of all, the catering truck. <laughs> well, and I know that, uh, well, so meanwhile, though, whatever whatever you were feeling, it turned out very well, of course, because, well, it wasn't as, I guess, commercially successful as they hoped it would be, but they were, Walt Disney didn't, he was very happy with you. I think he felt it was the title that was the issue, right? It was a little, why would a man want to go? But um, but meanwhile, as you talk about in the book, you you know, you're awarded a Juvenile Academy Award, the last one of these that was ever given out. You've got a Golden Globe for New Star of the Year. You're getting, as a result of this movie, just tremendous fan interest. And yet, I guess you sort of say your life did not, maybe you were sheltered from what was your your degree of popularity out there. And that even, it seemed like you were saying that your father as much as he was proud you knew he was proud of you would not necessarily even uh make you aware of the degree to which you were being well received for whatever reason well i mean um that was inevitable scott because after i did the movie i came back to england and went back to my boarding school and um boarding schools were but you know still very strict and quite austere, like no central heating, you know, and you weren't allowed to write to boys. So I never got to read a paper. And, uh, I didn't I didn't know what was going on in the world. I had not a clue. So you know, I was somewhat detached. And then I would go back to Hollywood and I would make a movie and and the whole the whole world of Hollywood and the way everything was done and the the colour and the size and the the, the gorgeousness of the houses and it, you know, it was like a dream. It was like living in Disneyland, the whole thing. And then I would go back home and I, when I wasn't in boarding school, I was in the middle of Sussex on a farm, on a 500 acre farm. So you didn't find that anyone was treating you differently? Yes, yes, yes. That is that, that sort of inevitable. But it was more it was more the adults than the children. It was more the adults. They thought I was inevitably going to be big headed at Brad. And so they thought they should, you know, they should keep me in my place. Um, the girls were interested for a while and then they just got on with their lives and <laughs> their life of school and what was going on. And um, I, I began to feel that, that, you know, we were drifting apart, which was sad. Um, and you do, you need, you need your peers when you're growing up. I did get quite, uh, I got to feel rather isolated, which is a very bad thing for adolescents. That research they've done on monkeys, you know, if you isolate adolescent monkeys, they go mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that is one of the remarkable things is that through all of this 
you did not. I mean, we've seen, as you know, so many child performers, including, unfortunately, the person who did the reincarnation of The Parent Trap went through some very difficult mental things as a result of of early fame. I know that in, in the book, you talk about that, you know, you were not immune from certain challenges that came about as a result of that. But I mean, it does seem like somehow you you kept your head on pretty well and I'm better than most people would have. So what do you attribute that to? Just the fact that you were at boarding school or way away from the, that you were not, I mean, cause it does sound like, you, you know, your father, you say, didn't even tell you you'd receive this Academy Award. And on the one hand, one person, uh, uh, a person could say, well, that seems strange to not give you your, uh, you know, your due for such a great accomplishment. But on the other hand, maybe it did keep you, two feet on the ground, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did know that I'd been given a, a little Oscar because he called the school and told me, I remember that. But um, I didn't fully appreciate exactly what that meant. You know, I just, you know, I'd heard about them, of course. I was like, oh, I've been given a prize. That's really nice. But of course I was asleep <laughs> Oscar night. And I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't particularly bothered at the time, but I have to say, <laughs> you know, as the years went by, I thought, gosh, I really, you know, it, it would have changed. It would have changed things. I think I would have taken things a little more seriously. I think I would have, maybe I would have felt the weight of responsibility even more because an awful lot of responsibility is on a, you know, given to a child and the expectations from the adult world, the fact that they do have to deliver the goods. But I had very sensible parents, particularly sensible mother, who was the first person to notice any signs of brattiness. <laughs> you know, right. And not living in Hollywood, which I always loved, and my mother used to call horrorwood. <laughs> was... Um, there are so many, so many temptations in Hollywood. Um, it's an irresistible kind of unreal world in many ways. And when you're young and you're trying to find out who you are, you know, you're searching and, and, uh, and, and it's full of gorgeous people, beautiful, clever, talented people. And it's very, very easy for the whole package to just turn your head mm -hmm. well i guess it, it, we should note it's exactly 60 years ago that you would have received it, that your oscar was presented by shirley temple i guess to annette funicello but also exactly 60 years ago that the second movie and maybe the one i don't know you tell me but the one that i think you might be most closely associated with the parent trap was released so this is all happening in a very quick succession uh, at that time. And I, I guess I just because I, I got a kick out of the way you've described it. I wonder if you could share, you know, we've come a long way with special effects in this business in the last 60 years. Can you just, you know, for somebody who's wondering how in 1961 you were able to appear twice on screen, uh, contrary to what the the um, Let's Get Together uh, album <laughs> credited to Haley Mills and Haley Mills, uh, just how did that <laughs> yeah. how did that actually work? Well, um, of course, 
you know, split screen was in its infancy and it was developed to the point where we could use it by the famous of iWorks, the yes. wonderful animator who'd worked with Walt right from the very, very beginning. And he was he was very influential in, in developing that. And don't ask me how it worked. I really ought to research and I could be very technical and impress you, but I can't. No, well, all, all I mean is that you were literally, it's not like, you know, today they can almost manufacture a person out of nothing. I mean, you were basically doing it twice, right? I mean, you would reshoot. Yeah. With- <laughs> yes, 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 no, absolutely. Um, they would, you know, a big black box was put over the camera and one side of the scene was shot and then I would change my clothes and I would shoot the other side of the scene, um, which was tremendous fun. And I had a wonderful helper. It, uh, an actress was employed to be my photographic dark double her name was Susan Henning oh my goodness she was wonderful and she had the back of her head the whole time she never complained she even had to wear a false nose just like (laughs) mine which really was rather unfair Um, and it, it was such a gift it was such fun to make that movie and there were so many wonderful actors in it that were brilliant and very funny uh, and Maureen O'Hara was a, a you know a gorgeous woman and a great star and a big influence on me a woman as beautiful and as successful as that but she was so grounded and so lovely and warm and sweet and and of course and Brian Keith and Una Merkel and Joanna Barnes was so good and so funny and you know I loved everybody I was I was it was it was great and my parents and my mother I'd be given this journal and of course I was really not into writing it because I was learning my lines and messing about but she wrote down everybody that I met and you know she may have said, oh, Horrorwood, but she loved the business. She loved the people. She loved people that that she met. And uh, they were great enthusiasts about the whole thing. They were not cynical. Yes, yes. Well, I want to tell you, I because I'm, uh, in fact, I wish I had been alive to see Hollywood's golden age as it was unfolding. I've now gone back throughout, whenever I get an opportunity to um, interview some of the the people who were there for it. And so it's actually been a, I want you to, your ears might've been ringing because I got to speak with Nancy Olson and Maureen O'Hara and people about you. And, and it's just, it, you should know that they were as fond of, of you as you were of them, which I know is not always the case when adults are having to work with, with child actors. Yeah. So uh, that was, right. that was fun to get to hear both sides of the story there. But uh, well, folks should know that Parent Trap was, I believe up to that point, the biggest hit that Disney had. And then, then of course, it was on to your others as part of that contract in search of the castaways, Summer Magic, Moon Spinners, That Darn Cat. And in there are additional, another Golden Globe nomination. I know you shot some around the world. Like this, this was all happening within a, again, just a few years. And 
I wonder, though, because That Darn Cat, I believe, was the last film that Disney himself produced before his death in 66. Yeah. You know, do you remember being aware of his, you know, learning that he had died and, and whether that actually affected you? I don't know how well you how how much you interact with him in the course of making all these movies for his studio. But was that something that affected you? Uh, yes, it did. It, it did. It was like for everybody, I'm sure it was hard to imagine that place without him. And I had got to know him very well and love him. And again, you know, the fact that my my parents, uh, obviously they were, they were all the same generation. And, well, love my mum. She had a very wicked sense of humour and she made him laugh a lot. Uh, I think she shocked him from time to time and he enjoyed that. And, uh, and he and my dad, you know, got on very well and they all, he and my dad enjoyed a whiskey. And <laughs> it, it was a very, very fortunate thing for me. And so I was involved with, you know, I wouldn't have been invited to dinner with Walt and Lily Disney by myself. But I was because I was invited with my parents, mm -hmm. you know, and so we got to got to know them privately. And also he took us to Disneyland for two days. And I know he does that for everybody, but it really was a wonderful experience. And the fact that Walt Disney went on all the rides with us was so sweet. Even the ones that make you feel sick. <laughs> he just... Not the whole thing. Well, so, it, it wasn't even necessarily about humoring you, right? I think he genuinely, it's from what I understand, from what you've written, from what other people have said, he was kind of uh, a genuinely a, a kid, right? Totally, absolutely. I mean, the book's called Forever Young. And my goodness, if there is somebody who exemplifies that, it's Walt Disney. You know, at heart, he was forever young. And... Uh, and full of brilliant, inventive genius. But he was wonderful with children. He communicated very, very well with children. He didn't pander to them. He didn't get down to their level and sort of crawl about the floor. But he enjoyed children. He listened to them. And he cared very much about what his films said. And although I struggled with, you know, being... being trapped by the Disney image and there were things that I wanted to do when I was under contract for Disney I completely understood why it wasn't appropriate for the Disney image and I was a Disney child and I had to abide by that and I don't really regret that I, I'd love to have worked with Stanley Kubrick who wouldn't but and that was Lolita yes. but you know I, I understood that and um I think when I look at, at the experiences of other children, young people in the business, I was very lucky because I wasn't exploited. And we all worked very hard and our agents struggled to make get more money for us. And we'd all love to have got residuals, but, you know, he was a businessman and that was it. Um, but, I, you know, I, I was lucky to know him very well and... Uh, you're right. He was he was a kid at heart. He was. And so was my dad. Uh, yeah. So was my mom. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> you know? that, that may be why you all got along. And I I guess, you know, one of the things people who are 
now just learning about the fact that you've written this book, one of the things that they should know is that it sounds like a key moment for you in deciding to actually write this was a relatively recent discovery when you visited I guess the Disney archive and learned that, you know, you'd been aware. I know that he did not want you to do Lolita when you wanted to do that and maybe some other things, but the full extent of how your image was being managed was maybe not fully appreciated until this visit recently. Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, and <laughs> the archives were just a revelation. It was amazing. They kept every little scribbled note. Uh, and all the letters that I'd written to Walt and the Walt to me, the letters that my parents and Walt shared between each other, my brother Jonathan, all of it all kept. Uh, and I... One thing I didn't know was my mother had written, well, really quite a strongly worded letter because she didn't like a script that he, that they were proposing uh, for the next movie for me. And she told him in, you know, no mean way how awful she thought it was <laughs> and then proceeded to tell him the kind of films he should make. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and she was defending her child and, and uh, but I doubt very much that uh, he'd had a correspondence like that, particularly with one of his young actors' mothers. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and it, it got a bit gnarly. They they called in the lawyers, and the lawyers called my agent, and and it looked, you know, they said, you know, breach of contract if she doesn't do this movie. But it was all patched over, and everybody got on afterward, after, afterwards. And um, yes, and all this was going on. I was you know, I, I didn't I had no idea, which a lot, uh, you know, this is what happens. Decisions are made for children uh, in life and certainly in the business. And then certainly one day they're old enough and they have to take charge and responsibility for their own lives. Um, and it's quite a it's, it's quite a shock to the system. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, did the archive shed any light for you that beyond what you already knew or thought you knew about why after, I guess, that darn cap as the final film for him, the contract ended and was not renewed? Was that your or your parents' decision, or was it the the studio's decision? Because it does seem like you, from things you've read and things you've said, you understandably, like a lot of child actors, were interested in doing different things and broadening your you know, broadening your image and all of that. But what was actually the 
what brought about the end of just the contract ran out and both sides said that's it? The contract was for years. It was for five films and Pollyanna had been the first one, but it wasn't actually part of the contract. My agent was speaking to to Disney and uh, they would have renewed and I didn't want to. I was 18 or 19 by that time, uh, 18, I think, and I wanted to be independent. I wanted to make my own decisions, you know, stand or fall. I wanted to, I wanted those decisions to be mine. And um, I wanted to take responsibility for my life. And because, you know, there were a few other things that, that I, that were offered to me when I was under contract that I would love to have done and wasn't able to. And, you know, I, although I did do other movies, I was, I was a Disney, I had a Disney image for a very, very long time. Well, it's better than having no image at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you know, just not, not to give away the goods about the book, but I do want to some extent, if I wonder if you could maybe just tease is the wrong word, because this is not a fun, uh, topic but just you do you're very honest in the book about i guess the biggest issue that may have come about from child stardom for you and and perhaps others was just a a, a impossible a sense of needing to keep an impossible image the, of not only staying like a child but also not putting on weight, not uh, doing things that happen to kids when they're in their teens, uh, when they go off to, uh, I think in your case, it was finishing school, right? Where it may have, there may have been some, some more access to food than there was elsewhere, whatever it was. So I I don't want to ask you to talk about things you're uncomfortable talking about or give away more than you want to give away about the book, but just, it does seem like that was a, that was a, that maybe the toughest thing to come about as a result of being a public figure, right? Oh, gosh. Well, um, <laughs> this became very much one of the motivating reasons for writing this book, is I realized that even though my circumstances were unusual and in, in many respects peculiar to me, what I was going through was the same for everybody. Adolescence and all its questions and all its anxieties and fears and worries and, and, and black hole of depression and everything is the same for everybody. We don't know what we're going to turn into. We judge ourselves. We hold ourselves up against people who we think are more talented and prettier and thinner and whatever it is that we think they are and we're not. Childhood is a kind of um, lost paradise where we didn't question anything. We just lived in the moment. And stepping over that, that, that seems to be a great kind of abyss Uh, that we have to cross, where we don't know where we're going. We're lost for a long time. And I did put on weight, which is 
I was convinced I was grotesque uh, and I got skin problem. I got spots. Um, you know, I was, I, I couldn't bear the sight of myself on the screen. So what, what I'm saying is that we all go through that. We all go through dark nights of the soul when we're, we're growing up. And I was quite sort of cut off, lost a lot of my friends. And, uh, and today, I think that uh, young people still feel that, even though they've got social media to connect. But it isn't a real connection, not really, because they can project an image of themselves that actually isn't quite true. And other people are doing it as well. And so there's the, 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 the genuine interaction between people, which you get when you're face to face, is missing. So, you know, this struggle to grow up is true for girls as well as boys. And that's really it. That's why I think it's taken me a whole life to, to uh, you know, get down to writing about it and trying to understand it. And I realize how, you know, the impact of, of one's childhood stays with you for the rest of your life. I could see how it impacted my mother and made her so terribly insecure. And my father, which ultimately made him incredibly confident <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, he was the only boy surrounded by aunties, <laughs> lots of aunties, thought that he was, you know, bees knees. No, that's a beautifully that's beautifully put. And I I guess I to you looking at, you know, you say how it can shape a person. Do you believe, you know, everybody I know at the time uh, uh, fixated on the fact that one of your first post Disney things was to go and do the family way, which just here's how I found the New York Times article at the time, how shocked people were, quote, she smokes, she drinks, she wears nightgowns. She even has a nude scene standing in a bathtub and the censors are not happy, close quote. Was this all that and the fact that you then became romantically involved with the director who was quite a bit older? Was this all in some ways a, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, would you say that this was a way of kind of showing that you were no longer a kid? It was me trying to grow up. Definitely. Trying to convince myself that I was growing up. You know, I did a couple of films before I did The Family Way. There was no question in my mind that I would do that if they offered it. Well, when they offered it to me, it was a very, very good script based on an excellent play by Bill Norton. And, um, and my dad was going to be it. It was a perfect part for him. It seemed like a perfect part for me at that time in my life. And it's quite funny. You talk about the nude scene, which suggests something extraordinary. <laughs> whereas, in fact, it was, in a, it was in a tin bath and all you actually saw was my half of my back view and half of my bare bottom, <laughs> which really uh, didn't, not particularly interesting because I was extremely small and skinny. And, um, but despite that, there were some states in America uh, where the film was banned. That's crazy, right? <laughs> Which I thought was, yeah, that was extraordinary. Um, I didn't feel there was anything gratuitous or salacious about that scene because it was a completely 
integrated into the film. It was it was real life. Absolutely. No, I I think it's funny how in, you know, a half century or whatever, the value or the the yeah. things that shock people have changed quite a bit. But uh, <laughs> um, and of course, I didn't completely answer your question about about uh, the director of the movie, which is who was Roy Bolte. Uh, and, um, you know, I think I don't think it's just something that happens to us when we're very young and perhaps not. Uh, as um, so aware of why we why we feel and do things, but um, I certainly wasn't thinking if I fall in love with this man, I'm going to grow up. Uh, I fell in love with a wonderful man, and um, you know he was very young at heart and um, a very very good director and. Maybe it was part of my breaking out. And what would I have done if I'd been living in Hollywood? Who knows? Uh, you know, I, I, I had to make my own decisions and do things. And when you're very young, you don't stop and think, what are the repercussions to this? What will be the result if I make this decision down the year? You don't think like that. <laughs> It's impossible. You right. can't penetrate the fog of the future. You just, you know. So it shocked quite a few people. And I got letters from fans. Uh, but mostly it was the press who didn't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> they didn't like it. You know, it's not unheard of. Uh, we were very happy together for quite a few years. And I have a wonderful, wonderful son as a result of it. Yes. So yes, I think it was meant to be. Absolutely. Well, in the same year as The Family Way, you did something that uh, you worked with someone who was kind of a trailblazer, and that's Ida Lupino with The Trouble with Angels. There were, yes. even today, there's very few uh, yes, women directors yes, yes. who are given opportunities to make big movies. I just wonder for you, I don't believe you'd ever worked with a female director before that. What was that like? Was it different? It was very different. And uh, I had a sense that it was very different for everybody on the set. All the electrician, electricians and the carpenters and the, everyone, you know, it's a very male-oriented business. Uh, the wardrobe department was usually a female. Um, uh, the continuity girl was usually a girl. Uh, you didn't have female cameramen or... Um, Propsmen or chippies, electric, no, suddenly. And she was grounded and sure of herself and gentle, very feminine. And I did initially have to make an adjustment to not having that male authority figure. Well, which is what I was used to. I think it was very good for me to realize that that male authority figures are not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They can be displaced. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, uh, that was an interesting thing I wanted to ask you about. The other thing was that I know having spent years in some ways wanting to get away from the Disney image it was interesting that in the 
mid to late eighties, you went back and, and revisited the parent trap in a few different incarnations. And I just wonder, was that, uh, a tough decision to do? Was it weird to be back in that world once you were, I guess, just anything about that? It, it wasn't a tough decision. It was, it was something I welcomed with open arms. I loved the idea of playing those, those two girls grown up, um, of going back to Disney. I very, very, very much missed Walt. Uh, it was a bit, the, the studios were, were very different then. They'd grown, they were much bigger. There were some people there that I, I recognised, one of whom was Moochie, Kevin Cochran. He was there, he was a producer. And he came and said hello, and, you know, I remember, you know, it was, uh, it was, I did feel a very strong sense of how much time had passed. And um, uh, the... The, the closeness of everyone who worked in the studio when Walt was there was missing. Yes. But it was, yeah, definitely was. For my generation, and, and uh, I know a lot of my friends, we d- discovered you as Miss Bliss. We didn't know anything about Pollyanna or Paratrap as little kids. And so I just wonder, uh, this was, of course, in also late 80s and it spawned Saved by the Bell, but it was originally Good Morning, Miss Bliss. And so I just wonder if yes. you if you realize that there is a, a whole generation of people out there who who did discover you as that. And also if you've kind of kept tabs with any of the folks that were your kids in that show. I wish I could say that I had, but, you know, the business, A, I don't live in, in, in uh, L.A., and uh, I went back to England, and my children are still living at home, and uh, I just got on with my, picked up of my life again. I only did, I think I did 12 or 13 episodes in, uh, you know, over a few months, however long that took, but it, you know, I what I am surprised at is, is the the fact that people often mention Miss Bliss, um, and and I as I travelled around the country with other things, other shows, uh, kids probably your age would come up to me and say hello, Miss Bliss, and I was like, wow, <laughs> because I knew that the TV show had moved on and that they that that you know it was a very different show now called Saved by the Bell. Um, you know, focused wholly on the children. And um, so it surprised me a lot and delighted me, I have to say. Well, you, you were a uh, wonderful teacher. I mean, it was sort of the ideal, the ideal teacher that we all hoped we would have. But all right. So here with our last minute, if it's all right, we always close on this podcast with a bit of a rapid fire. Just the first thing that comes to your mind about a few topics, if you if you wouldn't mind, just a sentence or two. A, do you still get recognized a lot? And and B, what do people say when they see you, first of all? Maura, you know, let's start there. I do still seem to be recognized, uh, which always astounds me because I'm I'm so so old. <laughs> uh, and uh and and often people say, Oh, you know, I grew up with you. Um and you you remind me of happy times when I was when I was growing up, which is the most lovely lovely thing for people to say is that for me to think that I'm connected uh, with 
happy times in that childhood. Well, I know I said rapid fire, but just quickly, I have to read back to you for since it's related to what you just said. This is from a recent Turner Classic Movies article written by a, a very good writer who I know, Susan King. She said, quote, this is about you, quote, she just seemed like one of us. We all wanted to be her friend. And as she got older, her young female fans wanted to be her and boys wanted to be their girlfriend. Even now, a smile lights across the faces of boomers whenever you mention her name, close quote. So I think that's to what to your point. Oh. But uh, OK, back to the rapid fire. I heard you answer all of your fan mail. That is such an amazing, nice thing. Is that true? Yes. Yes, everything I get. Wow, wow. You've said you never really felt part of the Hollywood community until the night of the 75th Oscars. Why was that? Right. Well, because I suddenly found myself, because I kept going away, you know, I kept leaving and then, you know, and come work and then leave. And um, the 75th Oscars was an incredible experience because I found myself sitting on stage on this little wobbly little gold chair with people I revered. People that, that you know, Meryl Streep was there, you know, Nicole Kidman, Marley May, Ma- Marley, oh, I forget her name. No, Matlin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Marley Matlin. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, um, uh, Jack Nicholson and um, the curtains went up and the platform we were all on moved down and I looked out at this amazing auditorium, the Kodak building, and the first person I saw was Scorsese. <laughs> and then I saw Richard Gere. And I was like, my God, I've been a part of this. I'm up here with all these people that they feel that I should be here. Uh, and it, it blew me away absolutely blew me away i was i was i i I, well i found words i can't find words to just describe it well, and we should uh, we should just remind listeners this was because at the seventy fifth Oscars they re they wanted to reunite all the acting recipients of an Oscar, and so that was like a class photo, and I think they did it maybe for the 70th or something as well a few years earlier but i've been on their case because i i cover the academy i'm saying they got to do it again for we're, we're at the 94th so in about six years for the 100th i re, i really would love if they would do it was the greatest moment i think in the history of the oscars to, to see the entire history of the movies basically uh with all of the oscar recipients who were people we recognized yeah 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 yes oh it was incredible Absolutely. It was one of the most exciting nights of my life. Wow. Uh, okay. If you're flipping through the TV channels and you come upon one of your films from your childhood, what do you do? What do I do? Do you watch? No. Do you flip? Like, do you enjoy it? Like, how do you, what do you do? Well, I don't do flip through the channels. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, it doesn't happen. Um I've only just joined Disney Plus. Ah. Uh, remember, I, I remember I live in England, and 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 actually sometimes um, Tiger Bay or Whistle Down the Wind comes up, and I do stop and have a little look at those. Um, but none of the Disney films comes up because you got to be, you know. They they guard them most jealously. So I was going to say, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, you know, 
if anyone deserves a free subscription to Disney Plus, it's you. So I hope they I hope they're copying it. Um, all right. And then almost. OK, last last three of these quick ones. If you could go back in time with the benefit of hindsight and say something to, you know, 12, 13 year old Haley, what would it be? What would it be? Oh, I said, don't waste time. Don't waste time. Stay living in the moment that you did when you were a child. Don't waste time, um, you know, being scared and negative and go back to school. Get your education. Very, very, very important. Uh, Nobody really took that part of my life terribly seriously. Me neither. And... uh, (laughs) And it was only afterwards I thought, my goodness, you know, I, I don't like being the one at the table who, I don't, I, I wish I'd had a good education. So I spent my life reading and trying to educate myself. I guess this next one is related to that. What do you ever wonder what your life would have looked like if J. Lee Thompson had not stopped by your house that day? Well. I don't spend too much time thinking about that because I think it's actually a complete waste of time. There's no way one can ever unravel things uh, and know what would have happened. I think I think if I just stayed at school and I think I would have done more. I love being in school plays, so I, I might have got some good parts in the school plays. Um I used to love writing, but I never took that part of me seriously, although I love to do it. And, you know, who knows? I might have been an actress, but I think, as I said to you earlier, that it was very fortunate that I started when I did, when it was still so instinctive. And I just jumped in, you know, and took to it like a duck to water. I like to think that I have been doing the right thing. I I do think that uh, now, I think it was probably my destiny. Yeah. And very last question is, many years from now, when we are all onto greener pastures, what would you like people to remember about Haley Mills? Oh, she did her best. <laughs> um yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's it's such a uh, such a treat to get to speak with you and and um, and congratulations on a on a really wonderful book. I hope you're as proud thank as you. you should be. You should feel very. Uh, it's a it's not an easy thing. I know to to reflect on one's life and to turn out a book of any sort, even a a bad book. So a good book is a, a real accomplishment. So thank you. Bless you. Thank you so much. It's it's been lovely talking to you, Scott. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.